Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season 11 of the Parenting Aces podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we've got another great episode for you this week with our guest, Barry Fulcher of the UK's Progress Tour. Barry was last on the pod back in 2018 when he was newly involved in his Progress Tour, which is a prize money tennis tour um, that is open to junior players, collegiate players, professional players, and everyone in between. And now, three and a half years later, he has done so much incredible work that I wanted him to come back on the pod and talk to y'all about upcoming events for 2022 and how his events will incorporate both UTR and WTN ratings. So those of you concerned about what's happening with ratings and how that's going to impact your players for college recruiting. The Progress Tour is going to be a great series of events to get involved in if you have the means and time and willingness to travel to the UK. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Before I bring Barry on, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, we'd love for you to sign up on our website and get full access to all we have to offer, including our consultations that used to be part of our premium membership. But now that that's gone by the wayside, we're just offering these consults available to you anytime that you need them. You can sign up at parentingaces.com slash shop, and you'll see lots of different options there. All right. For now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Barry Fulcher of The Progress Tour. Barry Fulcher, it's so nice to see you again. I cannot believe 2018 was our last podcast. Hey, Lisa, how are you? I know. Time flies, hey? And a lot's happened. I mean, it's been a crazy two and a half years, That's for, or three and a half years, but... Um, yeah, I'm really happy to see you. I have been getting all of your emails about all the events that you're putting on over in the UK. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to reach out to him and see if I can get him back on the pod to bring us all up to speed on the progress tour and what's coming for 2022. Yeah, it's great to catch up again. So yeah, things things have moved on, I suppose, in that, that time. I've uh, been on a bit of a journey with it. Um, it was still fairly early days when we chatted um, yes. back back then, way back then. Um, so yeah, it's it's COVID kind of changed things a little bit. I uh, had set a 
a kind of clear schedule of events back in 2020. Um, I felt in 2019, I'd kind of, I'd had some larger events, but, you know, back then, which was larger events, um, decent amount of prize money for the winners. But I felt like I had gone down a slightly different route um, with, with the events than I'd wanted to and kind of, the level of prize money wasn't quite what I wanted. I, as I said to you before, I was self-funding it. Um, and it was a struggle, you know, and I, I made a decision to do less events actually and put my focus on to really trying to grow and establish a, a smaller number of events, but, but go back to the core of why I set the, the tour up in the first place, which was to provide, you know, bona fide earning opportunities for British players. So kind of 2020, I had a full schedule of, you know what was what was my main marquee events eight progress tour prize money events um and also some you know some one day match play events they're quite desirable over here for players and parents that are on the kind of college pathway if you like but but yeah not not trying to do too many events of a kind of smaller amount of money but do less events with a with a good size kind of prize pot and that that was the plan for 2020 then, uh, as we all know, things change quite dramatically. Um, and kind of uh, early early in that kind of lockdown, the first lockdown as we had it here, which was March, April 2020, um, I just kind of had some discussions with Jamie Murray. I'd done some projects with him before, and he was already kind of planning an event for the summer of 2020 when we came out the, the other side of kind of lockdown. And I quite early on then had decided to, to, to try and do a, a return to tennis kind of event around the Wimbledon period. So uh, I suppose Jamie kind of really and did an amazing job of a Battle of the Brits, which has gone on to be a huge success here. Yeah. I can't say I've matched that, but um, <laughs> whilst he did a men's event, I did uh, the Progress Tour Women's Champs, which was a much, much bigger event than I'd done before and than I'd ever planned to do really it, it kind of snowballed it was the the timing of such that there was no tennis on um and then it was a 30,000 pound event uh, prize prize pot nice um, and we went on a journey with that really it kind of w- what I wanted it to be was for that second tier of players and I you know I was approached by a couple of British female players um by chance uh, that they wanted to do a, an event and we kind of collaborated um, the three of us worked worked on putting it together. We ran it at the National Tennis Centre, and it was still very very strict guidelines there. So it was a behind closed doors event, um, and we went on a bit of a journey, as I say. So we had all the British the top British women in the event, apart from Joe Conter, at one stage. Uh, it didn't quite end up that way for various reasons, but um, you know, the, for me, it was a step into the unknown, a step into you know, a world of of kind of proper uh, established events. It was it was live streamed on the BBC, um, and it was the most viewed tennis event in in the UK that summer, apart from Battle of the Brits, in fact. But the BBC's most watched tennis event of the summer. Wow! In the obvious absence of uh, Wimbledon, right? Um, so yeah, I love doing it, and uh, you know, it really gave the progress tour a platform that it hadn't had before gotta ask um, was emma Raducanu a participant she was in it 
And then she was out and she participated in part of it. We did a tiebreak tens event, uh, a collaboration with them on the Friday evening, which was, uh, which was a, a, you know, a really good event. She played in that. So, uh, yeah, she was, she was in and around the event. She was, uh, yeah, didn't play the main event, but had participated in that Friday evening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, a, it was a really good, strong cohort of girls in the end, uh, of female British players who were all really keen to play. I think that was the, the message of the moment really was that, that desire to get back on the match court for pro players that just hadn't had the opportunity to. Right. And I mean, it's very similar to what happened here in the States with the challenger level, right. And our USTA pro circuit events and, and all of those tournaments that provided earning opportunities for those players who aren't, you know, at the level yet where they're getting into the slams or, you know, the master's you know, 250, 500, 1000 series events, but still need to support themselves. They still have to pay their bills. They still have to pay their coaches and buy equipment and all those things. And, and everything just disappeared for a while for them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's why, uh, you know, I was so keen to, you know, as well as everybody in the tennis industries, coaches, as you say, you know, commentators, the whole, it's not right. just the players, you know, that the whole network that, that lies behind events. So, you know, I love doing it. And we we had Katie Bolter beating Jodie Burridge in the final. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing it. And it uh, it took a lot of planning and it, uh, it was an eye opener in, in terms of that that level of event with the commentary and, you know, the whole the whole works going on behind it. So it was it was great. It was a great to kind of uh, put something on of that stature. So do you find that you're getting participation from high level juniors who are maybe, you know, gearing up for a professional career or gearing up to come to the States and play college tennis, but trying to kind of balance their needs of high level competition with, you know, finishing school or doing all those things that prepare them to get ready for that next step? Yeah, it's a real, real combination of, you know, those that are looking at the U.S. college route. It's, uh, you know, we've talked before about that with uh, Sarah and I, the project mm-hmm. we have with Student of the Game. And, and we really try to push all avenues and all pathways, not just, you know, the feeling is that sometimes parents and players can gravitate one way because everybody else is doing it. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's really good. For, you know, whichever pathway a child or a parent are looking at, that they have the opportunity to, whether it's US college, that they have the opportunity to get good quality matches, level-based matches, um, and, and build their UTR as it is um, currently, um, as well as those, you know, whatever route they're going, whether it's pro route, we've, you know, I've got an event coming up where it's a 10K event in Cardiff to start the year. Um, and with that kind of prize money and with wild cards up for grabs as well, it, it attracts the the higher echelons, you know, five, six hundred ATP WTA players. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that that kind of draw as well. But as you say, there's some top juniors that you know, I've got an event next weekend actually in Cardiff, uh, a new series, a pilot of a new series I'm running called Compete and Earn, um, which is, a, I suppose, a cross between my major prize money events and the kind of one day match play events that I, I was running this year. Uh, I'm not a huge fan personally of the match plays that are kind of ticking boxes and you turn up and play matches. So this new series 
I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but uh, no, it's I'll okay. The, I'll give you the, the background on the the new series, and then uh, I'll come to my point. Um, it's a mini money events, I suppose. It's kind of smaller prize money events, three tiers of UTR based. You know, kind of top top tier is nine plus, tier two is seven to nine, and then tier three is five to six point nine nine. So there's prize money, player support at every tier, um, and I, I've you know, this will be the first one next weekend. I'm really excited going into next year, what that will bring, because it goes back to the core of why I set the tour up. It's not a box ticking exercise, but it's real development opportunities, earning opportunities, and a, and a chance for players to progress. Now I'll come to my point. Um, yeah, we've got uh, next weekend with Hannah Klugman, who is one of the top, I think she's one of the top in the world, 12 and under. She's She's wanting match play before she heads over to Orange Bowl over to you guys the following week and she's playing in our our kind of pilot event in Cardiff so she's she's pitching herself against kind of teenage guys that three four five years older than her but where her UTR kind of matches up pretty well and I've spoken to her coach and you know for him it's a perfect kind of preparation for her to get to get matches to go out and then compete on a on the international uh, kind of stage really so there's that side of it. There's, you know, it, it, it offers different things to different levels of player, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. And just a reminder to the listeners, we are recording this in November of 2021, but you're not hearing it until January of 2022. So by the time this airs, Barry, your events will have been massive successes. And I'm sure I'll be retweeting all of your tweets about how well they went. So just a reminder there. But um, but no, I think it's really cool that you have stepped in to create events to fulfill the needs of players at a variety of levels and a variety of stages in their development and career. And I think, you know, you are a prime example of the private sector stepping in and supplementing where perhaps the national governing bodies just can't do it. They, it's just too massive an effort for the national governing body, but a private entity can you know, form relationships and tap into those relationships to put on these fantastic events, even offering prize money as you're doing, but also furthering the development, furthering the journey for these players, regardless of where they are currently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, my view is, and I think I shared it with you when we spoke before, is that for me, the governing body, a role of a governing body is providing opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And that hasn't always been the case here. There's, you know, there's been lulls where there's there's so few events in terms of ranking, in terms of prize money. Mm-hmm. And that's really why I started things off. Um, you know, for me, that that is with, with a federation that has resources like we do and the USTA do, I think it is you provide opportunity and let the players, you know, earn their, earn their support and earn it by merit. Um, so, I mean, to be fair, things have really, you know, looking towards 2022 in the UK, the landscape is vastly different to, to what it's been you know, when we last spoke, there was there was I think I, you know, I remember there was probably six futures events on then for a country of our size is pretty horrific, um, and the prize money tour had been cut to the point of extinction almost. 
Um, and it, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to see what next year brings. I've seen a, a tentative schedule, which, you know, we're talking futures back up to what they used to be 15 years ago, which is kind of 15 plus. Um, nice. Between the Progress Tour, the British Tour, which are our kind of established LTA prize money tour and, and a new independent tour that kind of came about in lockdown last year, the UK Pro League, that there's, there's a, a, a serious schedule put together for British players where we're talking, you know, from Jan 3rd, where my first event of the year kicks into middle of May. I think, you know, players could actually stick around here and play every single week. Nice. So it's, it's exciting that it's a shame it, it took COVID for those kind of changes to happen. But, you know, the silver lining from that is British tennis has kind of woken up to, to the importance of the domestic landscape and, and how important it is for British players to be catered for. Right. And, and I mean, you mentioned COVID as a contributing factor, but what about having a major champion? Is that a huge factor too? The fact that Emma won US Open and, you know, shined a light again on British tennis. I mean, it's been a few years since Andy Murray won. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, funny, I read something this week uh, that Judy Murray had reposted, uh, you know, the legacy of Andy and Jamie, particularly up in Scotland in terms of facility development. And, you know, the, the consensus that that hasn't been capitalized on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, fast forward to an amazing, an amazing journey from Emma, uh, you know, a few months ago. It's just incredible. And it has brought that that fervor back of you know winning something like that in the in the manner that she did yeah it 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 it, it captured everybody i think it was the sure. what i read it was the the most watched women's match in the last 30 years which is incredible and it showed that you know that that kind of uh i, I you know i genuinely was more interested and i think there was more interest in the, in the women's side of it than the men's side for even sure with, even with novak involved in it so yeah, the, the effect of that has been pretty huge here, and I and I hope that we are able to capitalise now and continue capitalising on on that kind of success. Awesome. One of the things I do, and this is how I keep up with you, is I'm subscribed to your e newsletter, and I get all your emails announcing your events and. What precipitated me reaching out to you to come back on the podcast was you had released your calendar of events for 2022. And I noticed at the bottom of the email that you talked about universal tennis, UTR, but also world tennis number WTN. And I'm curious what you're seeing in the UK around how UTR is being utilized versus how WTN is being utilized because here in the States, we're expecting World Tennis Number to come into use starting 2022, though as of the recording date, I don't have any official news other than meetings that I've been privy to to notes on. So just curious what you're seeing there. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I speak with the head of competitions here in the UK uh, fairly regularly. Um, he's kind of kept me up to speed with with developments here there was delays here Mm -hmm. um i know there was teething problems over with you guys as well in terms of the you know the tournament setup and structure which i think is being worked through from what i understand 
the, the WTN, uh, you know, they, they waited here and they launched it uh, about a month ago. So the, there has definitely been uh, the interest in something new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as everybody's kind of finding out what they are. And I think they, they, Keith was saying, Keith Carter, who's the head of competitions, was saying, you know, the, there's been a, a huge increase of non-registered, let's say, LTA-rated players seeking out the the WTN and getting rated for the first time, which is part of the attraction of of similar to the UTR is is engaging with players that perhaps haven't been rated or have had not had the interest in a rating for whatever reason. Right, and, and that's I think one of the goals of it that it engages with club players amateur players as well as your kind of juniors which you know we, we've discussed before the appetite for ratings is pretty uh extreme should we say um that's that's a nice way to say it <laughs> there's a there's a desire for it that's for sure yes um and and let me just interrupt one sec sorry yeah. but um to clarify for those not familiar with world tennis number this is the itf's version of a rating system for tennis and it is similar to UTR in that it's looking at level, not um, necessarily, you know, how far you got in a tournament, but rather you're head to head against similar players or players much better or worse. And it's a way to promote level-based play, but also, uh, you know, an international way for players to compare themselves to one another, much like UTR. UTR and ITF tried to come to some sort of business relationship agreement, but were unable to do so. So ITF went forward with developing the world tennis number. So that's kind of what that is. And USTA has been talking about adopting WTN because again, UTR and and USTA were unable to come to a business agreement that was suitable for both parties. So USTA decided to go with WTN. We don't yet know how that's going to impact tournament selection and seeding here in the U.S. Um, maybe by the time this airs, we'll have more information. But as of November 2021, uh, we don't. So, Yeah, so I mean, it, for me, it's it, it, from what I know of it, I kind of was privy to some of the the kind of uh, detail that went into the the algorithm uh, it's quite exciting to see what it brings and as you say it is similar to UTR it's also different in a number of ways that I think are quite exciting to see how that beds down there's a lot of data that's gone into it um, and I think you know data is is king isn't it uh, at yes. the moment I think <laughs> the ownership of that data which is where some of the challenges lie I think in terms of uh, agreements among the, the those bodies you mentioned but yeah. um you know I, I for me personally as an event organizer I, my view is the same now as it was then that i think um ratings should happen in the background and not at the forefront of everything it, it's it has become the competition instead of a byproduct of it mm. um and i kind of run my events off a, a platform court hive um and I was then in in control of that data. I was able to submit to UTR. Um, I was submitting to the LTA as well. So results going into to the LTA rating and now the WTN. Because um, again, I, I I like I've used the UTR since the outset to structure events, and I think the rating is useful for enabling 
you know, WTN and UTR, mm-hmm. uh, useful for structuring draws and enabling level-based play, which is also king, and progressive play, uh, which is at the core of the progress tour. So I, I've, I still use it. My event next week is, you know, based on UTR. Um, but I, I want to kind of remain neutral and put, put the results where I want them to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and apart from that bit you saw on my mail out, <laughs> just, just kind of highlighting where the results go, I try to keep it in the background as much as possible. There's the acceptance list and let's crack on with the tournament. Yeah. Uh, and it's earned, you know, the, the, the way this, the, the, that kind of mini series, as I said, links together is the two finalists of tier three, for example. They earn player support from that event and they get four matches in two days. But at the next event, they get the opportunity to play up in tier two. And likewise, in tier two, they earn, earn their progression up within the tournament rather than necessarily by way of a, a, a huge ratings jump immediately. Yeah. They get the opportunity to pitch themselves against tough opponents, the progression element. So that that's kind of my, my view remains the same on that, really. And I, I know there's political goings-on behind the scene. And, and for me, I, I, I think both ratings are of equal value. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think and, we need two? Uh, probably not. But, you know, some of those issues you highlighted there of, you know, the the – inability to come to an agreement with with a number of governing bodies and right. UTF actually uh, not not just the USTA and the LTA and the ITF um, I think personally that the UTR had a, an opportunity to partner with there was a, a huge void there you know mm-hmm. back, back four or five years ago um, when UTR was coming to the fore where there was an opportunity to work with some of those bodies and the opportunity passed for reasons you highlighted. Um, and hence why we, we have seen the emergence of an ICF equivalent. Did we need it? Uh, possibly not, but in the absence of a, a unified approach, then perhaps the WCN will be able to offer that where the UTR wasn't able to connect the dots perhaps. And I think it'll be interesting as we look at the ITF's junior circuit moving forward, utilizing WTN for selection and seeding and however else they choose to use it at the junior level, you know, really will level the playing field internationally for the kids that are choosing to take that pathway. Yeah, for sure. And I think you genuinely you know, if you go and play in the States or if you go and play in France and all the, the federations that have uh, bought into at least, you know, whether they use it as their their uh, primary rating, that, that the data is all going to be harvested yes. in one central, uh, some techni- technical term that I don't know, it's <laughs> over my head, but it's it's in that repository, that's the word, repository. Um, and, and, you know, th- we're going to get very accurate ratings that will enable you know, whether it's US, uh, US kind of um, recruitment or whether it's cross-country player levels, we're, we, we'll start to get a really clear picture of uh, accurate ratings that are across mm-hmm. from country to country that, that the UTR has done, but I still think there's, there's silos of players that, you know, sometimes they don't exactly match up. Um, and, and as you say, I think the bridging... Um, between domestic and international events, I think is quite an interesting one that we haven't seen before. We've seen 
you know the ITF transition tour and that kind of uh, fizzled. Didn't work. <laughs> it <Yeah>. Fizzled quickly. <laughs> it, it didn't work actually, but I, yeah. as I understand it, the 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 I, uh, the WTN is going to fill that gap mm-hmm. and will provide a stepping stone from domestic to international at junior and also at, at pro level. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know that can only be a good thing for for that kind of unified approach, I suppose. Yeah. No, I mean, I think anything that aids players in, you know, figuring out where they are in a given moment and figuring out how to get to the next step in the in the journey is a positive. Um, it's a shame we have to have so much confusion around all of this, but hopefully it will become clear quickly and, you know, the ITF will do a good job at providing information around education on WTN so that people understand it. But as you said, Barry, and I I can't stress this enough, you know, it's a number. It is not fully indicative of a player's level. It's a hint at where a, a player is in their journey, but they're Certainly, everybody has good days and bad days on the tennis court. So, yeah. to to let a rating, you know, fully dictate where you play and how you play, probably not the best idea. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I hundred percent agree. And I think, yeah. you know, I've uh, this year I tried to do. I ran an event with in partnership with Bablat, the Bablat Cup. Um, and again, it was uh, UTI was used to structure the draws, but. We did it based on circuit points. It was like the players following this journey, mm-hmm. earning their way from event to event um, into a master's event at the end of the year. And I love that. It's like yeah. enter the tournament and then it doesn't matter what you're rated. That's right. It's effectively, you know, you earn your just way. Win. Yeah. <laughs> just, just win. Just <laughs> win. And, I, you know, I, I've kind of I've got some events going uh, outside of the UK as well and where I've kind of really tried to establish a, a culture that, has rating very, very much at the background, like mm-hmm. not not talked about at all, um, to try and almost impact that culture as much as possible to be, you know, not not the way perhaps it is in this in this country and in the US that that the thirst for ratings does sit at the forefront of of parents and players' minds because of the culture. You know, the sure. the funding is often linked to that. The selection of teams is linked to that. Um, and I, you know, I'm keen to explore that kind of avenue is, yes, the ratings have a, a place in some events, but they don't need to be involved in all events. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, getting back to what's coming for 2022 and with the progress tour and any adjunct events, are your events open only to UK players or can anyone sign up and come over and play? They are open to Anyone and everyone. Yeah, they, they, I've, I've changed a little bit, I think, from when we last spoke. I was, you know, the cross-age, cross-gender thing, I was a huge advocate of uh, when I first started. Um, and I've since, with the, the prize money events, I've since split, split them at the top end. Um, I felt there was... By gender or by level? By, by gender, yeah. Okay. So uh, they're progressive draws as they were before. They're open to any player above five from any country. Mm-hmm. I recommend is five. Like we'll try and accommodate lower if we can. Um, but I felt that the there was some female players that loved it, and it also put some off. 
and that you know that wasn't my goal the goal was to provide sure. opportunity earning earning opportunity um for all players and i so i kind of where i where possible i tried to split prize money events it did take more funding to do that but mm-hmm. i'm in a position now where going towards next year that all those marquee events will be split men and women so equal prize money in both so in answer to your question it's it's open to anyone i think i've got a Czech girl and a, a girl from Taiwan as our top seeds so far in Cardiff. Oh, cool! So, and yeah, how and do I, people how do people find out about the events and sign up for them? And we will have these links in the show notes on parentingaces.com. Yeah, so it's uh, progresstour.com is the website. And Easy uh, peasy. All my links for events are on there. Um, some of them are run through UTR at the moment, back on the Universal Tennis platform. Some of them are on the Court Hive platform. Um, but yes, the, the, the best kind of landing page for all events is theprogresstour.com. And let me just ask Barry, um, for the events that are on Universal Tennis's tournament platform, do those results get reported to WTN as well, or are they staying solely with UTR? They are. I, I, I will run a shadow event and I will keep ownership of the, the matches and the results. Um, and I'll send those into the LTA as well for WTN processing. Mm-hmm. So yes, they're, they're, it's the first event actually in about three years that I've run on the UTR platform. So I'm a I'm a newbie to all the changes that have come in. So yes, I'll be yeah. running the event next weekend is is and the, the, all the forthcoming events are on the UTR platform. Um, so they'll be submitted immediately through them, um, and then also through the LTA. Awesome, I love that. Well, anything else I I need to ask you about that I I don't know to ask you about. I don't know. I think we've <laughs> we've had a good catch up. I think, yeah. I think so too. All is good in the UK. Y'all aren't on lockdown at the moment. I don't think. Um, hopefully, it'll no. stay open through at least the end of the year, holidays, and. Yeah, I've got some travels planned uh, the next few weeks, so I'm hoping. Uh, yeah. We'll see what happens with COVID. It's not looking great here at the moment. The yeah. news anything to go by. Yeah. Well, stay healthy, stay well, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for continuing to think outside the box and create these opportunities for junior players, aspiring professional players, and existing professional players who are just looking for a way to keep paying the bills. Thank you very much, Lisa. It's great to chat again here too and lovely to see you best of luck with the new events in 2022 and we'll have to do another catch-up sooner than three and a half years this time (laughs) yes definitely thank you you so much (laughs) to my listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'll catch you next time on parenting aces i'm lisa stone and you've been listening to the parenting aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.